Hello and welcome to Chillin' in the State House. It's pretty chill right now here at the Capitol because it is Monday after turnaround, which means we uh, at the Chillin' team are some of the only people, <laughs> the only people in the building. building yes. Uh, uh, I am Jason Alatid of the Topeka Capital Journal. That was John Hanna of the Associated Press. Hello. So here is Jack Harville of the Topeka Capital Journal. Hey, how you doing? And Jack, it was your first turnaround. And apparently I haven't been thoroughly hazed. I hear this has been a um, a much chiller turnaround than we often get. I think we were out by, or I think they were done by 6 p.m. at the latest. Yeah. Should, should we explain turnaround to the uninitiated? Go ahead, John. Well, turnaround is the deadline by which... Most bills are supposed to be out of the House of Origin. Uh, most everything that's introduced faces a deadline. Uh, there are exempt committees, committees where if a bill touches that committee, they become exempt from the deadlines, ways and means on the Senate side, I think, federal and state affairs, a couple of others, and that similar committees on the House side. Uh, and so what you have is... Uh, uh, this flood of legislation being considered on the floor over a span of a couple of days. And then at the end of it, you can get several dozen bills in each chamber that are blessed. That means they get sent to an exempt committee uh, and they can keep moving forward. So over the years, turnaround has kind of stopped being the point at which uh, the legislature makes decisions about what will move forward and what won't. Um, and leadership, uh, if it wants something, uh, leaders can can keep it alive and moving. Uh, so Friday was a big deadline, maybe not as big as it historically has been, but it still meant between the two chambers, we probably had, what, 75 to 100 bills yeah. passed last week through one at least one of the chambers. Uh, and historically, we might have late nights during turnaround week. I mean, I, I was telling Jack who planned to potentially be around until 7 on Wednesday, 9 on Friday, especially if they don't want to come in and work on Friday. Which they didn't. But they didn't. And they were out at a pretty decent time on Thursday. Well, and... and I mean, what, I think the Senate broke before five. Well, and what, what they did was they kind of avoided lengthy debates on some controversial stuff or stuff that could turn controversial, which means those debates may come later or they the, – the, the key thing about getting a bill out of the House of Origin that people need to remember is that once a bill passes one chamber, that means when you get to the end of the legislative session and they're doing conference committee reports on broad subjects, that means that – bill is then eligible to be included. And so what you're going to start to see is a concentration on getting stuff to the point where it can be considered. So some of these some of these House pass bills and Senate pass bills will kind of languish in the other chamber until we get to conference committee. So and I mean some some of those controversial topics would include abortion. Abortion, yes. Uh, and John, you you had some abortion reporting this weekend. Yeah. What what is interesting is is that we've got 
there are several bills that are out there that deal with abortion, despite the 2019 Hodes Nauser ruling that declared access to abortion a fundamental right. Uh, abortion opponents are still kind of testing the limits of that decision. There, uh, and as you know, if you were gone in 2022, taking a gap year and traveling in Europe, for example, uh, the of course there was a constitutional amendment to overturn that decision, declare no right to abortion in the state constitution, and that was soundly rejected by voters in August of 2022. So, uh, what we've got is abortion opponents uh, among the bills they're trying is uh, one that would. Uh, extend child support payments back to conception, basically, and um, another that would allow prospective parents to claim the tax deduction for dependent children before a child is born. I think the language is the in the bill is as soon as there is detectable cardiac activity. There's some debate about that in the medical community, but it would be as early as six weeks. And so you could, these are ideas that have been out there a while. Georgia has both laws. Uh, Utah passed a law last year that gives you a double dependent deduction the year your child is born to kind of cover the pregnancy. And the interesting thing is all of this, while all of these things are pending in the legislature, you had that Alabama Supreme Court decision that declared frozen embryos outside the womb as children that are protected under uh, Alabama law so that if you destroy the embryos, you can be sued for wrongful death. And so that kind of cast uh, a light. It, it kind of intensified the light on those two proposals and proposals like them in other states because they are steps toward recognizing the rec- represent uh, rep recognizing embryos and fetuses as legal persons with the same rights as the person carrying them. And not to uh, get too far off topic, but we do have other abortion bills we that we're tracking. There's uh, one to increase funding for the abortion alternatives program that was set up last year. Right, and actually put that program into permanent statute rather than making it a year-to-year budget thing. It could go from 2 to $4 million. Uh, there's also... Uh, uh, there's abortion still, reporting. There's also the abortion reporting, which would really ramp up the reporting requirements. Doctors would be required to ask patients a series of questions uh, and take demographic information about them to kind of, the goal is to tease out why why women and girls are having abortions. And, you know, the argument for that is if you know that information, if you have it, hard numbers on it, you can design policy around that. Uh, of course, uh, the critics would say that's... Uh, intrusive and you know the the abortion rights people would say a woman uh, a girl having an abortion doesn't owe anybody any explanation as long as the procedure is you know it's between her and her doctor if the procedure is legal there's no reason for the state to know anything for example if if you know you have i don't know pick something hernia surgery nobody with the state comes by and wants to know why you're doing it that, that would be the argument against a bill like that. Again, the anti-abortion folks pushing it argue that they just want more data so that they can design better policy around, you know, financial assistance or whatnot. Um, and I do believe that 
in current statute, the quote unquote uh, late term abortions, you are required to provide a reason and yeah. uh, doctors have to provide medical justification. Right. And there's a whole, you have to get a, in theory, you have to get a second opinion and it has to be to save the life of the mother or to prevent a substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function. Of course, major, major bodily function also includes mental health. And I think it also includes, uh, a non-viable fetus. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, anyway, uh, but but on the personhood, that I think that was the more surprising piece or or unexpected piece that came up this year. And John, nationally or or even in Kansas, what is the goal of these? Uh, of, of legislation to establish well, fetal personhood. Well, if you talk to the anti-abortion fo- folks who are who are pushing this specific legislation, they're saying no, it's just to provide support. Uh, you have these vulnerable women and children, and you know we need to provide support, and these are two ways of doing it. Of course, that and especially with pregnancy expenses, but. The, the, there has been a long-term goal in the anti-abortion movement to have embryos and fetuses recognized as legal persons in the same sense that you and I are, that uh, children outside the womb, I, what would you, if, if, if the term is unborn uh, for, for children in the womb, what, what is the term for, is it, Postborn, I what what yeah, um, the the children that are actually walking around you and I as adults to have embryos and fetuses recognized as having the same legal rights um, and under you know the Fourteenth Amendment under all of the amendments in the U.S. Constitution. Of course, the implications of that would be then states would be required. The states and the federal government would be required to ban abortion as a violation of civil rights. It strikes me as a more of a long-term strategy. Well, to try to overturn how long? Those. How long term? I mean, how you know? There's some concern that. Uh, anti-abortion groups are figuring out a way to get that question between a, a con- up to a very conservative U.S. Supreme Court, or at least this conservative majority, so that then it could declare that. And of course, that would have that would probably spur an enormous political backlash based on what we've been seeing across the country in voting on protecting abortion rights, but it would have lots and lots of implications, among them in vitro for fertilization, uh, because the ruling in Alabama was, I, I stored embryos in your facility, they've been frozen, somebody, literally the case was somebody broke into the facility and destroyed, in that break-in, destroyed the embryos, and is that facility liable for wrongful death? And the point about a wrongful death lawsuit is you can receive damages. You can be held civilly liable and have to pay money to the person for the wrongful death. It happens, for example, in in cases where a, where you have a birth and it goes wrong and the baby dies. That can be a wrongful death. You do something and somebody dies. That can be a wrongful death. So... Um, 
the implications of that is when, and I'm not the medical expert on this, but generally with IVF, the sense is you create more embryos than you may need because it may not, the implantation may not work the first or the second time. So you, you need those embryos. And so they're kept in this frozen storage. And I was listening to a podcast uh, this morning, Strict Scrutiny, and and disclaimer, the hosts are very clearly in favor of abortion rights. But they were talking about, you know, does it raise the question of whether it's, for example, prosaic child abuse to freeze the embryos? On the one hand, you're keeping them alive long term. On the other hand, uh, you would go to jail if you put a child in a freezer. So, um, those are all very, very interesting questions, and of course, the the goal of the two sides, the goal of the anti-abortion movement is to get to the point where there's no abortion. And of course, the goal of the abortion rights movement is to get to a point where these decisions are solely between patients and doctors and the state doesn't interfere with them. So, you know, you have these two poles, and, of course, most, uh, most people in terms of their views are somewhere, some degree off those poles in terms of where they are. Now, the, the big news of last week was on tax cuts. Yes. And, Jack, uh, not only was it your first turnaround week, it was your first call of the house, I believe. Yeah, and that was uh, that's interesting. It's always uh, – it's it's a game of hide-and-seek in the state house, which is uh, a bit – it's a bit comical, the process that goes on. Yeah, you were uh, locked in a room with nearly 125 legislators. and You were waiting for the one, who was, the one who was really missing the rabbit, I yeah. think is what they call it, to come back, right? Yep. So what was your impression of that? Uh, I mean, I hope it, it ended before anybody had our bladders tested. Yeah. You know, that's always one of the tough questions on a call of the House or the Senate. You know, generally in the old days, it was if you left, you could not come back. Mm. I, you know, and it it depends on how much mercy the person in the chair wants to show reporters. But um, anyway, yeah, that's that is interesting because I do remember them. Excusing people quite a bit. Yeah, move. generally not us, though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was uh, I was just trying to keep up because I was trying to, you know, figure out why why do they have to raise their hands every couple of minutes? Why uh, I was keeping my eye on the the board to check votes. Um, so I was just trying to keep up and didn't uh, soak in the moment as much as I, I maybe should have. Yeah, there's a board with. The names of legislators and how they are currently voting, but of course during a call they can change. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to track who's a yes, who's a no, uh, who from the Republicans is a no, and how does that compare with the last times? And and, and who really is a no, and who, what person who supports the bill switches at the last moment so that they can reconsider and try again the next day. Mm -hmm. In this case, Vic Miller did it, the Democratic leader in the House, because he wanted to kill it dead, dead, dead. Um, and, you know, what What was interesting was up until 2022, the assumption was 
that you really couldn't reconsider a veto override. Once you had the vote, it was done. But technically, that is not true under the rules. And so what happened in 2022 was the governor vetoed a Republican redistricting plan. Uh, the Senate, the House overrode it. The Senate was going to override it. And uh, some Republicans dissented, and so it failed. And then Ty Masterson got up and immediately voted no so that he could reconsider. There was a bit of a kerfluffle, and that's when it became clear you could reconsider. And they did the next day, and they overrode the governor's veto of, a, of redistricting. Um, and so we were all, you know, that was part of it. And the hand raising is, of course, depending on, on how uh, – excited house members are how restless they are uh you know they call they call out call be raised right and um and then you need 10 hands to keep the call going memory serves it used to be more than 10 hands i think it used to be like 25 and they lowered it um I mean, but that may be a fever dream of an old reporter i don't know i mean every call i've seen in my three years here if there's an attempt to get the call raised, it's Democrats who uh, want want the voting to stop at the so that the override count. attempt fails. Yeah, or I or last year with the uh, with the school choice plan, uh, they had a call just to get it with the simple majority to pass the house, uh, and then Republicans always say no to having the call raised until the rabbit appears and then they're all okay with raising. Well, and, and then you, once everybody is in the house, the call ends, that's the thing. And you can get into a situation where like a lawmaker is on out of the state and you get this little game where, you know, you have to, the, the chair has to, can declare that a reasonable effort has been made to bring the lawmaker back. And I don't know, I suppose you can vote on that. But, um, and so you get these kind of comic discussions of representative so-and-so is in uh, Dallas, Texas, and it will take nine hours to get them back. The implication being, look, if you don't want to sit here for nine hours, uh, you know, somebody needs to switch. And, of course, they're texting each other. And in the old days, before cell phones, uh, <laughs> I know it, it's inconceivable, they had desk phones, and they you'd see them working the desk phones. Yeah, they and sometimes still use the desk They phones. still sometimes use the desk phones. And, and, you know, because they're not supposed to leave their seats. And, and you would see folks, you know, looking at the board, leaning back in their chairs. You know, there's the, the standard house picture of the, member looking up at the board to see what's going on um and so it it can be dramatic it can also be somewhat silly um but in this case it was pretty clear a little surprising but pretty clear that republican leaders did not quite have the votes and so they they pretty much once the rabbit came in and voted they pretty much gave up the ghost well, i guess one surprising thing to me is Republicans came into the session saying they were going to do tax cuts very early and they yeah. did, but then everything since getting the bill passed has been slow moving. 
they didn't send the bill to the governor until the last possible day. This past week was the last possible week for the House to consider a veto override. And there, we don't know what's going to happen. Well, next. there is no sense that there's any plan B yet. Um, and there may not be, period. But what was interesting was Randy Garber, who's a very conservative Northeast Kansas Republican, came down and, and voted no and explained that, you know, we're waiting, the House is waiting till nearly the last possible moment to consider a veto override. The Senate would have had another 30 days, which would take you to mid-March, a little like March 20th. And then the regular session is supposed to end April 5th. So, and, and there was no sign that Republican leaders in the Senate had picked up the 27th vote. So he basically said, I, I can't continue down this path of futility. And of course, in the middle of all this, we got some geezer rock uh, references. Adam Smith felt compelled to quote Mick Jagger, who is, by the way, 80 years old. It's amazing. Uh, you can't always get what you want. And then, of course, Vic Miller came down and quoted a Beatles song, Paul McCartney, uh, We Can Work It Out. It's not clear that it can be worked out as long as Republican leaders are dead set on a, a flat tax, a single rate tax, whatever you want to call it. And the governor is dead set against that. And I, I wonder if the slow walking of the veto override. I mean, I, I think part of it was necessary because they didn't have all the right. members here due to illness or whatever else. Yeah, that's but true. The longer that process went on, the more time there was for a few Republicans to reconsider their votes. Right. The pressure builds. And we it had becomes what, four more, Republicans flip. Uh, five. Well, we had one who was already a no. Yeah. And I think four flipped to become five total Republicans. Yes, yes. And, and yeah, the pressure builds. You begin to see that this might be the last train out of town, as they say. And do I want to be the guy who, you know, prevented this bill and gives us another year of, you know, no no tax relief? I mean, the the dollars, the surplus dollars are piling up in both the the state general fund and the rainy day fund it and if they do nothing they'll probably end june with about 4.5 billion dollars which is you know about if i'm remembering the number somewhere between 45 and 50 percent of the tax revenue the state puts into the general fund overall in a 25 billion dollar budget that's about 17 percent but it's huge it's huge yeah about 17 percent of the full budget probably more like 40 percent of the state general fund yeah something like that it's it's just it's it is it is an i it's ridiculously huge um, in terms of what we, I mean, we have seen in the past a decade ago, um, you know, the state was having big budget shortfalls, although not anywhere near the, the size of these surpluses. And so the frustration is growing amongst legislators, at least, that there are these big ending balances and they can't seem to agree 
on on tax cuts. Of course, the other issue is how much is the window starting for big tax cuts starting to close in terms of there's a lot of discussion about how good the economy is and whether revenues will slow down. But um, yeah. And, and who do voters blame for this? situation if they're looking for big tax tax cuts. Now what was the Mick Jagger quote from The Mick Jagger quote was from you can't always get what you want. The point the argument was if you think this is flawed, don't let the flaws keep you from voting to override because we'll get something. So it's uh, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes you might just find you get what you need. Well so it's interesting to me that that argument was used on the tax plan uh, from Rep. Adam Smith. Yes, but who has who is wonderfully named Adam Smith, being the guy who came up with the theory of the invisible hand in the market economy. By the way, in 1776, an auspicious year. It, in terms of like all-time uh, Kansas government and politics names, that has to be up there, along with a budget director with the last name Profit. Yes, yes. Uh, But talking about compromise and the bill not being perfect in in your view on taxes, well, there was a bill about letting kids with farm permits drive to church. (laughs) And that plan was killed by rural Republicans, including Adam Smith, because – they didn't like the compromise version of it. Yeah. Um, well, and what the compromise was 15 and they wanted 14. Right. Because so, parents are, uh, it would be to and from church events, right? Right. So last, uh, sorry, two years ago, my, my first session, there was a bill inspired by a Salina pastor and father of six. He had a 15-year-old daughter, and he just wanted his 15-year-old daughter to be able to legally drive the kids to Wednesday evening youth group. What could be more wholesome than that, Jason? Um, Well, as Uh, as the father of a daughter who waited until after she was 18 to learn to drive, and, 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 and she wonders now why, but some kids do that now. Um, I had I had more than a I had I had a couple of eleven thirty p.m. Taco Bell runs. Uh, that tells you how much my daughter had me wrapped around her little finger. But well, so two years ago, they passed the bill. The governor signed it into law. There there was a little bit of uh, heartburn from Democrats who uh, were worried about safety, but the the bill was largely non controversial. I think it was unanimous in well, the Senate and. So 15-year-olds, as long as they have a restricted license, can drive to church and youth groups. And they they, they realized that there was an oversight, or they say it was an oversight of kids with farm permits can't drive to youth groups and church events and other religious activities. Well, and and this is where where, uh, the cultural differences between, you know, what passes in Kansas for urban and suburban versus rural come in. I mean, you know, Jason, you know much better than I do because you you grew up in this milieu. Um, But, you know, you have kids who are pretty young who are helping out on the farm driving tractors and farm equipment and whatnot. And so kind of the attitude is why, you know, they're driving much bigger things. Why can't they drive a car to do, 
you know, these kind of very routine things. It's like we're not we're not putting them on the interstate. Except in some places it could become the interstate. Yes. Uh, as a once upon time 14-year-old growing up on a farm, I had a farmer's permit and could drive to school at 14. Uh, I will say that driving a minivan on a two-lane highway is a lot different than driving a tractor in a field to pick up hay bales. Yeah. Uh, and the, the, the argument going on was, do we want to give kids with farm permits the same privileges that 15-year-olds with restricted licenses have of you can drive to religious activities? And then if so, do you allow kids with farm permits to do so at 14 when they first get that permit? Or do they have to wait to 15 and have it be consistent with the restricted license? And uh, it was rep Shannon Francis from Liberal who said that debating the age was opening a can of worms and it was set at 15 in this bill. I mean, the, the, the bill was originally introduced at 14 and the committee changed it to 15 to essentially be a compromise. And uh, there was an amendment, a proposed amendment to change it back to 14 and it, it, it kind of derailed the uh, turnaround week activities for probably a good hour or so. Uh, and yeah, you know, and you wouldn't, it's a simple change and people can debate it, but see, it's a thing, it's a thing that everybody knows about and understands. So that tends to make those debates a little longer because everybody can have a, an informed opinion. Um, you know, uh, so, and everybody can imagine both the kid who is responsible enough to drive a car at 14 to and from church and the kid who is definitely not. I mean, it, it was Representative Eric Smith, the, who was also an undersheriff down in Burlington, who spoke some about young kids and uh, uh, some traffic crashes. He mentioned the one who hit the brake, uh, who hit the accelerator instead of the brake. And me, as a 14-year-old, also did that. And as a result, I hit the garage door on my dad's house and left a nice little dent there. Well, when, when my daughter was uh, 14, she was quite petite and uh, might have needed a couple of phone books to see pr enough over the, the dashboard. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so the, the amendment to get it moved to 14 failed, but then the... Bill made it out of the committee of the whole. It seemed like it would pass. And then, and then the next day comes around and uh, a, a group of rural Republicans called the bill at age 15 anti-agriculture. And after that happened, a bunch of rural Republicans, uh, a bunch of legislators, mostly rural Republicans, flipped so the was, no was and the bill failed. So was that the deal where... You have it passing, the role is open, somebody comes down and makes a, uh, an explanation of vote, and then all the people start bailing. And uh, it, it was uh, Representative Troy Waymaster, a Republican from Bunker Hill, and a well-respected legislator as the 
ring I mean, as the chair of the appropriations committee uh his statement was signed on to by other rule lawmakers including Adam Smith and uh Tori Marie Blue she was the one who made the uh amendment motion and they called it anti-agriculture and then uh, <laughs> which is the last I, thing I, you want to be in Kansas and then something like two dozen lawmakers yeah um, uh, stood up and flipped their and, and you're sitting there wondering, well, why didn't you vote that way the the first time? And then you just sometimes, you know, it's like I, I had jury duty once and we sat there for three hours and then the judge came in and said they'd settled and he, he made this comment about sometimes the lawyers need to see the jury pool in person before they're ready to settle. And in this case, sometimes you just have to hear an explanation from a respected member of the house to to come to the same conclusion it's like when my daughter was i don't know two and a half and she was still using the pacifier and and we tried everything to get her to stop using it the books the videos and we went to the pediatrician and she got down on my daughter's level and said don't you think you're a little old to be using a binky and my daughter plucked it out put it in her hand never used it again and we as her parents were like wow Okay, that's what it took. So same same principle here. I guess I got a little far afield, but it's it's the I, I would call it the give up the pacifier principle here. Uh, so the end result is the bill died, and uh, if you are a kid with a farm permit, you still or can't drive to church what the heck? at fourteen or fifteen. Uh, now, Jack, there were several bills that passed, and. Some of the ones that we wrote about, we uh, did a little package of election bills. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was only one that was truly controversial, uh, or, or at least so controversial that it wouldn't have veto override supermajority. Uh, so I guess can you can you start with that one? Yeah, the independent candidates. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what I wonder what uh, prompted that one. Um, so under current uh, Kansas law, I believe it's two thousand signatures, or is it five thousand? Uh, five thousand. Five thousand yeah. signatures for an independent candidate to get on the ballot um, for a statewide race. For a statewide race, uh, this law would change that to two percent of the vote in the last gubernatorial election. Um, that's about the same level that it takes to create a political party. In well, it, it, it's the same percentage. You know? Yeah. It, um, and what is that? That's like uh, just over twenty thousand. Okay, so it so would it would go from it, five to twenty thousand yeah, essentially, so quadrupling the required signature. And and I'm sure I'm sure it's a coincidence that this comes right after. Well, not right after. It's been a year plus, but after Dennis Pyle. A uh, very conservative Republican left the Republican Party to become an independent run for governor, and there are Republicans who are still blaming Dennis Pyle for Laura Kelly's narrow, narrow victory in 2022. I, I think the required signatures would be higher than his vote total was, or yes, at least yeah, very close. Very to close, it. or a little higher, and of course. One of the things that happened as Dennis Pyle was trying to get his name on the ballot was that Democrats were not so secretly helping um, I mean, because I, they figured it would take votes from the Republican candidate, Derek Schmidt. I mean, so, I, think I we, mean, uh, heard stories of a certain Democrat going to Vic a Miller, yes. gun rights 
uh, or or a uh, gun show. Yeah, that is such a Vic Miller thing to do, by the way. Um, anyway, you know, Dennis Pyle, I ran into Dennis Pyle, and he said it was interesting that, you know, they didn't try this after Key Number ran for governor, uh, I think maybe, was that 2018? Or it might have been 2014. Um, or any other independent candidates. And, of course, the... Uh, the the independent candidate of independent candidates was the Goat Clan doctor John Brinkley in the thirties. Well, I, yeah, I, and he got a he got he got like a huge percentage of the vote in two elections, and in one election he had to run as a write-in, and the uh, the election was it the state board of canvassers maybe decided that you had to write john r brinkley and spell it correctly for it to count and so there were hundreds of ballots that were disqualified and uh that was the election alf landon won his first election uh, as a kansan a native there's kansan, a great who book had not about heard it. that story uh, it, it did seem a little interesting that it's 2024 and the carrier of the bill, instead of pointing to the last gubernatorial election, pointed to one from 90-ish years ago yeah. as the impetus behind the bill. Yeah, well, and, and uh, I mean, <laughs> look, we all, we all know why the timing is for this, because Dennis Pyle's candidacy raised this issue again about whether it's easy, too easy, about right, whatever, and th- look, this is this is a strain in politics everywhere. How easy is it for a third party? I mean, when we're talking about the presidential race, you're thinking about uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Cornell West and other folks getting into it, and or you know Joe Manchin, the West Virginia senator, just said he's not going to run for president. So that idea is out there in the zeitgeist. Um, the the Dennis Pyle run really. Because the governor's race was so close, um, that really focused questions on, on, on this idea. And, of course, you have some people out there promoting the idea of independents being able to vote in party primaries and, you know, the duopoly, it's sometimes called. Or, or the, the uniparty. The uniparty, that's also, I mean, Matt Gates, the, the firebrand arch conservative from uh, Florida, the Republican who brought down uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he talks about the uniparty. Let's, you know, and it's very much about blowing up the system. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I've, I've heard Pyle use the term uniparty before. Yeah. I think we should note at this point that he didn't get more votes than. Oh, yeah. Um, he did yeah. not. Yeah. But. Uh, I, 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 the, the Republican claim is, though, he caused some people probably who might have voted for Derek Schmidt to stay home. Yeah, uh, you know, how do you measure that? How do you know? There's just there's some frustration that had he not been in the race, things might have turned out differently. Those nineteen or however nineteen thousand people might have stayed home. Who knows? Yeah, and aside from just the margin, it's. The last three gubernatorial elections had at least one independent right. or third-party candidate. And the winner yeah. didn't get to 50%. Laura Kelly has not gotten to 50% in two elections, and Sam Brownback missed 50% in running for re-election in 2014. After, by the way, winning by a pretty comfortable margin in 2010. So, yeah. 
And of course, there's always a discussion of, well, does Kansas need a runoff like southern states have, where if no candidate gets to 50%, then you, know, then you have a runoff uh, in January or February. Do you do some sort of... Uh, uh, there's a bill out there to ban ranked choice voting, by the way. Do you so, do some sort of ranked choice voting to get to determine that? There are all kinds of methods. Um, Kansas has had this system forever, and you know, Alf Landon, uh, that 32 election, that's the lowest plurality for a winner ever. It was a little over 33%, I think about 34.2% if I'm remembering correctly. The historians can correct me, write in and correct me if, uh, email Jason and let him know if I'm incorrect on that score, but I think it was around 34%. I think that's about right. Uh, and there were some other election bills that passed, uh, I believe one on poll workers mm -hmm. to make it a little bit easier to find poll workers. Uh, uh, one that would be a fix to the election law from two years ago. Wouldn't that moot the Supreme Court case, basically, well, uh, or not? Depends on who you ask. Uh, it, the the Kansas Supreme Court actually had oral arguments on it last week, and if you ask the Attorney General Chris Kobach and Secretary of State Scott Schwab, this change would moot the well. Lawsuit. It would it would pretty much right basically outline the legislature's intent, you know, um, that you would have to intentionally misrepresent yourself as an election official. But the voter advocacy groups, most notably Loud Light and League of Women Voters, uh, who sued over the law uh, and have stopped holding voter registration drives because of it, uh, they, they say it doesn't go far enough hmm. to make them feel uh, like they wouldn't be prosecuted. Yeah. Uh, and I, I believe there was one other election bill I was missing. Um, what was the other one? I believe my two that I wrote about were the independents and the um, uh, poll worker one. Well, since it's escaping us, uh, you can read more about it at CJ. Yeah, we, we have it somewhere, yes. Well, it was, you know, uh, some things got fuzzy once Dolly Parton dropped her single duet with uh, Pitbull last week. Yeah. And, you know, Beyonce's got a country song called Texas Hold'em. Uh, and uh, thinking of pop culture, uh, Taylor Swift sang that... Uh, we can leave the Christmas lights up till January, and I left mine up until February 25th. They are finally down. All uh, right. Be, be, because leaving them up till March just doesn't fit with well, the, the song. Is there any is there any harm in leaving them up year round and just not turning them on? The harm is my wife would not let me. Oh well, that that is harm. Um, we haven't gotten a Disney reference in. We need a Disney reference. I look at you, Jason. Mm. You're thinking. You're thinking. I should let it go, right? Uh, well, I I was at the K State men's basketball game on Saturday. Yes. Uh, they they finally won. Thank you. Uh, and there's now a moment where they, just like how Simba was held up by ah the Rick Lion King. King. Yes, yes, uh, the Lion King. The, the they, circle they, of they, life. They now have the video board showing. Uh, parents holding up their baby childs uh, and the occasional college student holding up their friend 
<laughs> that that would that that would be a little harder. I, again, I I call for a Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Dolly Parton uh, concert in the Flint Hills. I'm I'm waiting for the folks in state government, the governor and the legislature, to get on that. Um, uh, well, we know Taylor Swift and Beyonce's people listen to the podcast, so I'm sure. Yes, right we back. do. We do. Queen Bay, we want you to do a duet well, with Dolly Parton. Well, and Travis Kelsey is now a Kansan, I believe. Really? I, Excellent. I, I, I believe he, his new home is in Johnson County. Okay, well, that's good. So, so, so maybe Taylor he, will come live with him. Us if he wants to know if he'll uh, get a we'll, we'll, we'll know if Taylor Swift is a Kansas rev- resident if we see a sudden bump in state income tax collection. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they won't, the Department of Revenue won't be able to disclose that, but it might be pretty obvious since she's like, you know, a billionaire. She and Charles Koch can have discussions about policy then. I, I'd love to be the fly on the wall there. Yes. Uh, and, and since we mentioned the last Sunflower Showdown, I'll mention this one, even though it was more sad for me that KU beat K-State on Sunday afternoon in Lawrence. Yes, yes. Well, but it was in Lawrence. Yeah. I, you know, and speaking of Lawrence, uh, I I did note because there was a discussion of uh, Fargo, North Dakota, is uh, running afoul of the state with its attempts to regulate guns. And so uh, I would note that Fargo is to North Dakota what Lawrence is to Kansas. So that's... Is there a university there? I don't know, but it's uh, it's. I think there is actually. Is that where North Dakota State is? I, it may be, but but it is like the one liberal spot. Uh, I mean, you know, liberal. I doubt it's as liberal as you know the Bay Area, but you know, it looks liberal in comparison to the rest of North Dakota. And of course, there's Sioux Falls in South Dakota, and every every state has a Lawrence. I bet. And and, and since you bring up brought up guns. Uh, since the shooting, has there been any more movement on efforts to further restrict guns or to further <laughs> no. unrestrict guns? Uh, no, there has there actually the amendments, um, the the two versions of the same amendment to bolster gun rights, to extend the individual right to own firearms, to ammunitions and accessories. Uh, and to set a strict scrutiny standard for the courts reviewing restrictions on guns. That has not moved. Of course, they're in committees where they don't have to move immediately. So, uh, but yeah, we would expect to see those proposals discussed and voted upon. Uh, You know, we did have, after the Chiefs Parade shooting, we did have a discussion with Chris Kobach, and uh, he opined that it was still appropriate to move forward with that proposal because more people, more good people with guns will make us all safer. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a standard argument from, uh, gun rights, people who favor little to no restriction on gun ownership. And I guess one last thing looking forward, uh, the potentially biggest legislative, debate of this current week once the legislature comes back to work on Wednesday, and really most of them aren't coming back to work until Thursday, uh, is Thursday both the House and Senate health committees are having debates over hearings, uh, yeah. hear, hearings over an, uh, transgender Gen- health, gender-affirming care for youth. Minor, for youth. It uh, would, yeah, two 
alternate proposals basically to ban it. One looks a little tougher than the other. The one, one is basically if you're a doctor and you do this, you can lose your license. I think the other, uh, it looks like it's a little, even a little tougher than that. Um, yeah, and so these, these hearings are going forward, which also, of course, the law Kansas passed last year, the one that ends legal recognition for transgender identities, that's coming up in at least a dozen other states. And we're still waiting to hear how the yeah. uh, Shawnee County District Court... And the judge, if she's that. listening to this podcast, may, you know, I, I'm assuming she's working on a ruling and will let everybody know whenever. Yeah. Uh, well... I'm sure she is working the legislature. She's got uh, a lot of cases, though, right? I mean, she's got – she has a pretty heavy workload. That's not the only case she has. I, I'm sure it's not the only case she yeah. has. Yeah. And this is not the only podcast episode we have. This is right. number 98. John 98. Lewis. We're approaching 100. We're approaching 100. Uh, and if you want to listen to back episodes of this podcast, just – Scroll down. I assume yes, and you I, do. You do want to listen to back right episodes. Yes. Uh, and for Jack and me, you can find our work at cjonline.com. And you can find me at apnews.com backslash author backslash John, J-O-H-N hyphen Hannah, H-A-N-N-A. And I'm on X at APJD Hannah. And where are you guys at on X? I'm at Jason underscore Alatid. Jack Harville. And I know I I tend to use X less than I used to, but John, you're still pretty active there. When you when you share a story, you usually have quite a bit of yeah, I, uh, uh, background information yes, that didn't yes. make the cut. Yes. Well, most of it is in there, but yeah, I, I tend to I tend to tweet storm a little. So if you like John's verbal tweet storms on this podcast, <laughs> you can get the more. Jason is saying I never shut stories. up. That's what he's I'm, – I'm working on not interrupting you guys. <laughs> it's a terrible thing I do. Oh, I don't mind. Okay. Well, anyway. All right. Well, we hope you all enjoy your week. Yes, it's the weather's going to be terrific. Well, I think it was – Watching the weather last night, I think it's supposed to be 80 on Tuesday, then 39 on Wednesday or Thursday. Or maybe, oh, or maybe yeah. it was 80 Welcome today to Kansas. and 39 on Yes, Wednesday. yes. Welcome uh, to Kansas. So, so maybe that's the uh, the temperature of the building when it comes to talking tax cuts, especially in a week where property valuation notices are expected to go. Oh, out. yeah. That's that's there. That, yeah, that's that's not a good week for this state when that happens. People are people are grumpy when they get those. Well, don't be grumpy while listening to us. No. Have a good week, y'all.